just so excited to see you guys here. We're going to continue in our, our, uh, our Blessed Table series, and next week we'll wrap, uh, wrap this up with a very kind of fun day in which we'll kind of sit around a couch with some folks, sit around a coffee table this time, and we'll just allow just to, the Lord to speak through their story and what God's done in their life recently, maybe in the past five years, past ten years. But it'll be a really cool day, so you don't want to miss next week. Uh, if you're going out of town, maybe try to get back in for that. It's going to be fun. Uh, and today's a really special day because we have our Christmas trees being dropped off today at 1 o'clock. We're really excited about that. You'll hear me um, blab a little more about that later. So uh, we're really excited. And so let's just jump on in. We'll, we'll be moving to Luke chapter 7 here in just a couple of minutes. But let me catch you up if you haven't been with us for the past couple of weeks. Uh, we've been talking about the blessed table. And what we're really talking about is just the table that the Lord invites us to sit at. And really the table that we've been kind of using that and through Scripture is often utilize and what Jesus instructs us to do is to come to the table. And we do this every single week because Jesus asks us to. But, but we do it and it's so, it's so layered in its significance and importance to our life. And maybe you've come to this table and haven't understood the significance of it, but I pray today uh, more and more we'll come to understand what this table signifies. And first we really said that above everything in this season of gratitude and thanksgiving that we should be grateful for what Jesus did for us. And we're going to dive into that more today. But we also understood that it actually invites us in to understand the unity that we have in Christ. And though we're different and there's diversity am- among us in our backgrounds, maybe in our giftings and our talents and our personalities, there is unity at the cross. And there's unity in what Jesus did. And that's why it's broken from one loaf and poured from one cup. And, and so we gather today in unity. But last week we talked about how it, it calls us to the mission that God's given us. It reminds us that there's still work to be done. It's not just about what Jesus did or who he was, but it's about who he is. It's a remembrance of his personhood. It's a remembrance of his activity today. It's a, it's, it's a fore kind of shadowing and hope of what he will do tomorrow. And so it's so full in its expression. That's what the sacraments are, communion, baptism. They're so full in their expression of the gospel. So it keeps that at the forefront. So anybody like Thanksgiving that's coming up this week? Anybody got big plans? Maybe little plans? Maybe running to Cracker Barrel, grabbing a quick bite? <laughs> Less work is better. Maybe going to grandma's house or you know, maybe it's all at your house and you're stressed by everything that, that has to happen between now and then. Maybe you've got big plans, maybe you've got little plans, but certainly we're all kind of turning our attention to gratitude and being grateful. And that's really what this whole series has been about, but most importantly to be grateful for what Jesus did for us. And we'll continue in that today. I heard a stand-up comedian uh, talk years ago about, I don't know why we say thanks a million to things that aren't worth a million so he got a ride from a friend, and he said, thanks, 256. And the dude's like, what's that supposed to mean? He's like, well, you just gave me a ride. It's not really worth a million. So I think we've often really, uh, sometimes maybe we don't look at what is, are given to us like that, but sometimes the great things that are given to us, we begin to take for granted and we forget about. And it's sad that sometimes we do that with Jesus. Be grateful over a lot of things, but we'll forget to just be grateful for who Jesus is. And, and we'll get really excited about gratitude and thanksgiving in this few weeks span, but what about the rest of the year? What about those times? And it's just amazing what American culture has become, because it, it really should be called in America Thanksgiving, not Thanksgiving. We're more having Black Friday itself is just representative of really how, we, how grateful we really are, Right? I mean, we love to say we're thankful, but we can't wait to get more. And so this really, today, I think, is just going to push us to the place to really examine our hearts and allow the Lord to speak to us that what's on the inside 
is coming out. And what's not on the inside is also expressing itself. And so we're going to turn to a story. It's a story of a sinful woman that Jesus makes a great example of um, in, in not the way that we might think. And there's so much to this story. And so we're going to begin to dive in Luke chapter 7. We're going to begin at verse 36 and move through verse 50. But we're really just going to wrestle and sit on about three uh, scriptures in here. Allow the Lord to speak to us. When one of the Pharisees um, invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Table. We've been talking about meals. Meals are ceremonial in their time, and it's an honor-shame society. And so when you invite someone, you're really saying that we're at the same honor level. I'm not saying this is a kingdom mentality, but it's the mentality of their culture, that when I invited someone, I said we were at the kind of same honor level. This was socioeconomic. This is all kinds of things. There's so much embedded in their culture that had to do with honor and shame. If you did good in your community, you brought honor on your family. If you were sinful, you brought shame on your family. Some of those things are at play in our culture, but it's very kind of much more amplified in this setting uh, in early antiquity. Uh, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. I love the idea of this woman just walking in uninvited. Like it doesn't say that she was invited here and like stranger walks in with like some perfume. Like, okay, weird scenario. What would, it ha- what would you do at your house? Like strange woman or like the girl you went to high school with that was like, I don't know, a little bit of estranged from everyone. I don't know, maybe that was you. I don't know. But uh, she, she comes in and you're like, hey, good to have you. Like... See, now I heard this great story of this pastor's family who had this guy do that. He would show up at their house randomly. So they, they actually, I think they had actually invited him over once. But then the next night, he just came back. And they're like, hey, dude, I guess you can eat with us. We're eating right now. And the next night, he came back again. It happened like two or three nights in a row. I'm like, I guess he's hungry. If he's hungry, we'll feed him. And uh, it just kept happening. And it got to the point where, like, dude, I think you're just abusing us and, like, you're not really hungry, you just don't want to cook, and you're lazy or whatever, and uh, so they had a great idea, and so they actually, at the end of the meal, they actually grabbed all the plates, and had the dog lick all them, and they just put them right back in the cabinet, and so he didn't come back the next night, because <laughs> they saw what they did for their dishwashing thing, they didn't really do that, but they did it for this time for him, so as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, so this awkward situation of this sinful woman walking in is getting a little more awkward for those in the setting, everyone except for Jesus. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. Okay, anybody weirded out by this situation if you're in the room? Anybody? Okay, I'm the only one. Okay, I'm not the only one. Good to know. It seems like an awkward situation, but where we, and we're going to have the idea of some of what the Pharisees have here. And Jesus is going to really begin to correct our heart and teach our heart through this. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. So um, I think many t- my brain immediately thinks like, oh, Jesus is mad because there's like some times in scripture where Jesus like just goes off. He's like, sick of your religiousness. I'm going to prove you a point. I'm going to go make a weapon and 
make everybody upset and like turn tables over. We see this and my brain always moves. Jesus is mad. Jesus is mad. You know, you just want to watch a fight or something. Um, and so I think that's happening and my, first, my brain moves to that place, but I don't think that's really what's happening here. It usually expresses Jesus' anger and it's not expressed here. But Jesus tells this story in a very calm, collected manner, as I imagine. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. Uh, one owed him 500 denarii. It's about a day's wage each time. It's about 500 days wages. So a year and a half, roughly, of what you, you make this year. And the other 50, so 50 denarii, 50 days, really just like a month and a half or so. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon's got a good answer. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus said, you judge correctly. And so before we go on to verse 44, I've usually explained this. like It's like having your car paid off versus having your mortgage paid off. Like just debt erased. Like, okay, the the car is like nice and like you'll remember that for a little while, but the the, the house being paid off kind of changes the game, like does it not? It kind of you'll never forget that moment when that happened and how it altered your life. Your car, like you could pay it off, it's gonna take a little a couple of years, but your house, like most people like stay in debt on their house most of their life. And so it, it's talking about a bigger debt, and Jesus is beginning to speak to them about their own debts. And that's what we're going to begin to get in here. And what I want to talk to us about today is really moving in a path towards really thanksgiving. Not thanksgiving, but really thanksgiving. That what is on the inside will come out, what's not on the inside will also come out. And that's what we're going to see that Jesus points to here. So we're going to go to verse 44 through 46, 47, and really see what Jesus kind of shows some differences between everybody else that's there and this woman, and really the steps for us, I think, are, are kind of woven in here. Then he turned to the, toward the woman and said to Simon, I love this idea of Jesus turning to the woman, where everybody else is honorable and religious, elite in the community, and they think they have equal kind of um, honor with Jesus, and they're beginning to question that because a sinful woman has touched Jesus, the prophet, the teacher, who, who, as they see him. So he, I, I love that I just see Jesus kind of scanning the room and then just connecting eyes with this woman, saying, do you see this woman? He's kind of talking to them. Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you didn't give me any water for my feet. Uh, let's stay there. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. So uh, immediately in our brain, let's just think walking across town, okay? Jacksonville's a big city. So let's just say here to the other side of Mandarin, in the middle of summer, a different climate, where now it's mostly nice except for the crazy days like today. Um, but let's think middle of summer, flip-flops, you kind of get there, you're sweaty, you're a little bit grody. So even in our culture, we would offer someone the bathroom to wash off. We'd offer somebody a bottle of water when they came to our house, right? In our culture, we would do that. Well, in theirs, it was, that was totally normal. I mean, they weren't hopping in the Ford Focus to get across town. They were walking, and so it was very much customary to be offered water to wash your body, especially for a meal, and then to be offered water to drink. So really what's happening here is a neglect of the very basics, and for her, she's wetting his feet with her tears, and so I think our first step really towards Thanksgiving is moving from this place where we might be neglecting some of the basics towards this place of ultimate and honest repentance and humility. And I think, it, I think the very definition of gratitude is being grateful for what you already have, right? Being grateful for what you already have. And we can be grateful for things we don't have, but 
but really being grateful for what we have. And that's what the table really is representative. It should remind us of, of the thing that's already been done for us. It should start there and begin to move from there to what he's doing now and what he's going to do. But moving to this place of honest repentance. Tears and kissing, as we'll see in this scene, can mean a lot of things in the Bible. Jesus was betrayed by a kiss. It was also a, a, a normal greeting for people when they walked into a room. They'd kiss on the lips, kiss on the cheek, or kiss on the feet. And uh, here we see that everyone else in the room hasn't neglected the very basics, and that's what Jesus is pointing us to. But for her, she comes in with this honest repentance that there's a brokenness and a humility to her that's going to, everything's going to be expressed from that place that's real. And so I would just ask us today, like, are there basics that we're neglecting in our life? Are we neglecting the very basics of what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus? Are we neglecting just communication. Like you don't communicate in your house very well and things are not going to start to go very well, whether that's a roommate or a spouse. Like communication breaks down, everything gets really uncomfortable and really awkward and stressful for everyone. I always call it the plumbing that runs through the house. So when there's a clog in communication, things start to stink. So (laughs) my wife hates that example. Um, But what are the basics we might be neglecting? Communication with the Lord, the neglect of prayer in the relationship, the neglect of the scriptures that he's given us to walk through this life and the encouragement for, are we neglecting fellowship with one another? What are the basics that we might be neglecting? And moving from that place to a place of not just a recognition of the basics, and I think the basics of what it means to be a believer is first a recognition of our sinfulness. Romans 3.23 says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So if you feel like you fall short, you are welcome to the club. Because all of us fall short of the glory of God. So many times we, we use that as a calling card to keep us away from the body, but it should be the starting place of joining the body. Is that a recognition that we fall so short of the glory of God, we can't match up to his perfection. It's only through the grace of Jesus that we find that. And so we're welcome in this place as he's showing with uh, the sinful woman. So what are the basics we might be neglecting? And could Jesus bring us back to a place where we don't neglect the basics of repentance? When we come to the table, Paul instructs us to, to check our hearts, to just make sure we're doing this in a, a manner in which we're broken. And we're not just doing it in a religious manner, but in a way that would honor the Lord. Not that would push us away from the table, but would draw us to the table and thank him for his goodness. So neglect of the basics, but moving to a place of honest repentance and humility. That is what is on the inside of her as she enters in, as she enters in. Let's go to uh, the next verse, verse 45. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Again, we see that awkward Jesus is, is actually seeing something completely different in this scenario. And he's highlighting the difference between everyone else in the room and her. You did not, she did. You did not, she did. You didn't, and she did. So here he says, you didn't give me a kiss. It sounds like my wife. I walk in the door. Hey, you going to give me a kiss? What am I, chopped liver? Give me a kiss. Husband's wife, best thing you could do, walk in the room, give your wife a kiss. I about said husband. I'm like, I don't have a husband. I have a very lovely wife, and it's going to stay that way. Uh, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. Just as water 
was a normal ceremonial thing at a mealtime, a basic, a kiss was a normal thing. Like, I mean, some of us in our culture today, we're like, we walk in a room and we're just texting, we're not paying attention to anybody, so our culture is just corrupt of normal greetings, I think, in this day and age. But most of the time, we walk in and we greet the person, like whatever that might be, a handshake or a hug. You might have your normal church thing, or you high-five somebody. In their culture, it was kissing. It was kissing, and kissing was not just kissing for kissing's sake, but it actually spoke something. There was something, a volume about how we kissed one another. If we kissed on the lips, we would see that we had equal honor. Like some of you people just like, I don't want to kiss anybody on the lips. You start shaking. In their culture, it was normal. That was normal. It wasn't anything sexual or romantic. It was just normal. It was just how life was. So you did not give me a kiss. So the kiss on the lips was of equal honor status. To kiss on the cheek was there's a little bit difference. Like maybe one of the disciples would kiss Jesus on his cheek. There'd be a little bit difference in our honor status. But if someone were to kiss him on the feet, it's showing a great difference in honor. And I think this is a basic to the life of Christianity. Is that... I think in our day and age, we're very, we keep moving ourselves up the totem pole of this great big world. Just like, close your eyes for just a second. Just close your eyes for just a second. And think about the last time you just saw a picture of space or something cool in space. Planetarium or something. But in that moment, like when you're laying down that planetarium and you begin to see the stars, or if you live out in the country and you can just look up in the sky, as you begin to see all these stars and you begin to wonder about what's out there, you think about the other side of the world, you think about different parts of the world and realize that there's people there with families too, and we begin to see that we are just but this small piece in this great big world. You can open your eyes. We begin to see really how small we are in the great scheme of all of this world. And I think this place right here where a recognition of the ultimate honor for Jesus, and he invites us in to be friends, but many times we take that to the advantage where he's no longer Lord, he's no longer Savior, and we begin to lower the value of the Lord as opposed to raising that up. And as we repent, we realize that we've fallen short and we need, we need him more and more. And so where they were neglecting the very basics of a kiss, she was showing the ultimate honor. So really the, the, the step for us is moving from a place of dishonor in our life, a, a lack of recognition of his presence and his honor and who he is, to a place of ultimate honor. I just asked, what would that look like in our daily lives to begin to honor Jesus more, to begin to honor God more? And I'm not just talking about our actions. What's in our actions is birthed from what's on the inside. So I'm really talking about something on the inside first. A change of our mind, a change of our heart, where we no longer see ourselves as this, this personal God that orchestrates our own universe. But we begin to see ourselves as servants of the Lord, who have been called sons and daughters, who have been adopted into the kingdom, who are heirs of the kingdom. We be, it's a change in mindset and perspective. And, and that's really, I think, part of the, the basics that many times we neglect. We, we have this uh, uh, too low a view of God. If you were to walk into the, room, the office of your boss, 
Like you show them a certain amount of honor and respect. Whether you want to or not, you show them a certain amount of honor and respect. If you were to walk into the Oval Office, you'd be dressed high and tight and like you would be on your best behavior and show honor to whom honors do. When you're in the presence of your grandma or your grandma, you like clean up the face a little bit. She does, I hate, I hate shaving, but grandma's going to complain about it, so I'm going to shave. I don't do that. I just kind of go with the system, go with it. <laughs> um, but we show honor to whom honor is due. And really what ultimate honor is about and worship in our lives is about is, is really about giving God what he's worthy of, not what we feel like. When we operate like a personal God, everything's based on how we feel and what we want to do and what we don't want to do. Sounds like my three-year-old. He's like, I don't want to. I'm like, dude, I didn't ask you if you want to. I said, do it. (laughs) And it's this game. And we get trapped in that three-year-old mindset and we never mature. We never mature. We keep operating in that kind of selfish, kind of infant-like mentality or toddler-like mentality and don't show the Lord the ultimate honor that is due him. Our lives should be based on what God's worthy of, not how we feel. And, and it's really a, a life of worship that God's calling us to. And, and that's really what's birthed out of thanksgiving, coming to his gates with thanksgiving. So it starts with repentance and moves on into, into this life of worship and honor. And that's what she's showing here as she bows down, weeping and kissing. She's not stopped kissing my feet. I would be weirded out if this was happening to me. But Jesus sees this as the ultimate sign of honor and reverence. Like, what would that look like for us today to just honor Jesus completely and, like, bow down before him in our hearts and our minds and our actions? What would that look like today? Let's continue to the next verse, verse 46. You did not put oil on my head. But she has perf- poured perfume on my feet. Do not put oil on my head. Again, this is another basic. All of us here, we'd kind of begin to look at these things. Water, we'd look at a kiss. We'd look at all these things that op- as optional things, oil. We, but they were ceremonial, normal things for a meal to do. It was the basics. And many times the basics in Christianity, we look at like options. You know when you take a, you're getting your degree, some of you are in school now, some of you have been through school, there's certain main core, everybody's got to do them. And then there's some elective, there's some options. We treat everything like it's an elective and option because we like the electives, we get to pick pick and choose what we want. We do that with the Bible sometimes, we do that with our relationship with God, and that's not... That's not how truth works. That's not how honoring God works. So you did not put oil on my head, but she's perfume. They would use oil because people were a little bit funky back then. And I mean that in an odor way. They didn't like funk music, but in an odor way. Like they'd walk all over and there was no antiperspirant. There was no powdery fresh for the ladies. There, there wasn't anything. If you've ever been in like a, a gym locker room or something like that, you just get the smell of what dinner would be like. You see why they want perfume at the table for everybody. And that's why it, it was normal to treat people's head, to treat, treat their upper body, maybe a little splash here and there, treat their bodies with perfume. They didn't even do that. They didn't even do that. But what did she do? She came not to get from the table. She came to give at the table. And really what this is all about, all of these things, it's highlighting a defective hospitality for these people. 
that they did not host the Lord Jesus Christ properly. They didn't even do the basics for him, let alone anything over and above. And, and what he's wanting us to move from is from a place of defective hospitality. The, the scriptures say that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling in which God lives. But some of us, we have defective hospitality in the dwelling in which God lives. And moving to a place of sacrificial hospitality, it wasn't even much her house. She wasn't even much invited. But there is this heart that longed to give Jesus what he was worthy of. There was a recognition of her fallenness and of her sinfulness. There was a recognition of the highest of honors for him to kiss his feet. And something real was happening on the inside. It was moving from a place of defective hospitality to sacrificial hospitality. That we might move from defective hospitality of the presence of God. That we are the salt and light of the world to sacrificial hospitality. She poured it out. There's, we hear the word sacrifice. How many of you guys hate that word? No, oh, yeah, everybody hates that word. We're like, okay, what's that going to cost me? Start thinking of those things. It's good. Count the cost. Good. Count the cost. But there's a, there's di- there's a difference in types of sacrifices. Like this buy a tree thing we're doing, it, it's a sacrifice as a church. We put a lot of money out to make it happen. It's going to sacrifice a lot of time of a lot of people. It's going to sacrifice a lot of time for me personally. But I don't see it as a sacrifice. I'm stoked to do it because it's going to change lives locally and globally. Globally, It's a sacrifice to take my wife out to a little nicer restaurant. It's going to cost me a little more. But do I go in there griping and complaining about the sacrifice? No, because I don't look at it as a sacrifice. It is a sacrifice, but I don't view it as such. There's things in life, and most importantly, coming from the place of a Christian, based on what Jesus has done for us, everything begins to look really, really trivial, right? The more we understand his goodness and what this table represents, the more and more we understand how trivial we are. The more we understand how much he's given, the more we realize that so much all we want to do is get. And this woman is a great example of she didn't come to the table to get. I think a lot of those Pharisees that he was sitting with, they were just looking to see what they could get out of Jesus. He was a person of influence in the community. And they were just neglecting the very basics. And Jesus is drawing them in by highlighting this woman and say, look, look at how she acts. Let's go to the next verse and we'll finish this out. Therefore, I tell you, her, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. As her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. That doesn't, Paul says, don't use that as a license to sin. That the grace may abound. That's, that's whacked theology. Don't, don't, don't just think like, oh, I, I need to be forgiven more, so I'm going to go sin some more. Like, that's messed up. That, that's taking it for granted. As her great love is shown, just highlight that for just a second in your brains. Something that was on the inside of her was showing in her actions. It'd be very easy for us to begin to say, oh, she was manipulating Jesus. She went in there and she was going to cry a little bit. She was going to kiss his feet. She could bring something nice. And it was penance for her sins. It would be forgiveness for her sins because she did all of these things. That's, a, that's the wrong gospel. That's off of works and actions. But what this text highlights is it was out of a heart of love. And that's where everything was flowing from. Not out of actions, and the actions flowed from the real thing that was happening on the inside. Real gratitude, real humility, real honor. 
real sacrifice. Let's finish this verse out. <laughs> they begin to criticize Jesus a little bit. We're having wacky stuff here. Luke chapter 7. You guys are awesome back there. Oh yeah. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Verse 49. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? They're questioning his authority at this time. In verse 50, finally. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want you to stand with me today.